0: Let me guess, you're playing your ball out of the wrong fairway again. Stop yelling, for right? After every shot and start playing the new Big Bertha B21 from Callaway. Because truth is, there's a ton of distance trapped inside your swing. You just need the technology of Big Bertha to unlock it. It's pretty simple. A straighter ball equals a longer ball. So Callaway built a whole family of Big Bertha drivers, irons, woods, and hybrids with a new formula for forgiveness. Big Bertha was designed to reduce side spin while generating an insane amount of ball speed, leading to straighter shots off the tee. That's how you unleash your inner distance. And Callaway made Big Bertha iron so forgiving, you can practically hit him anywhere on the face and the ball just launches. No matter your swing, Big Bertha gives every shot more distance big bertha is a full family of long forgiving and really easy to hit clubs say hello to the fairway again introduce yourself to the green because this is distance any way you swing it unlock your inner distance today at callawaygolfca slash big bertha after a very lengthy wait sunday night erin o'toole was crowned leader of the conservative party of canada He now faces the dual challenge of acquainting himself with voters while preparing for the possibility of facing Justin Trudeau in a general election, because who knows what can happen with a minority parliament, right? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I talk with National Post columnist and Ottawa Bureau Chief John Iveson about what is the next step for O'Toole after winning the leadership, how he balances the more centrist and right-leaning factions within the party, and how quickly he could have to face voters. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So John, despite his tenure getting off to an inauspicious start, Early, early Monday morning, due to a much-delayed vote result, Aaron O'Toole hit the ground running in his victory speech. He was confidently laying out the case that his conservative party is that mythical big tent that Stephen Harper tried to make it. Which was a bit of a switch from the actual leadership campaign, where he was accused of being too angry and tried to play up his quote-unquote true blue bona fides. So aside from the task of actually beating Justin Trudeau in an election, is that his biggest obstacle, making that switch from the angry Conservative to a kinder, gentler Aaron O'Toole who can appeal to more Canadians?
1: Well, I think he made a pretty good start in that speech. I mean, I think he also did a good thing by not holding a press conference on the Monday morning, which would have overtaken and trod all over the speech that he made in the middle of the night on uh, early Monday morning. Mm -hmm. The speech was good in that it did indicate that he was open to the idea of gay people in the party, of people of all races and colours, all religions. You know, that was not the message that he was sending out. And in fact, when Peter McKay was talking about these things, O'Toole was pretty noticeable by his absence. I mean, he, he was keeping his powder dry because he wanted the support of the social conservatives who were voting for Sloan and for Lewis. Having got that support... He's now being told by the Campaign Life Coalition, which signed up a lot of members for those two candidates, that he better deliver. That there are expectations of payback. It's not clear to me how he will follow through on that, but I think he has to at least acknowledge their place in the party, their important place in the party, because he owes his job to them.
0: So how does he do that? As you say, he won by appealing to supporters of Derek Sloan and Leslin Lewis to get that down ballot support. And they're both pegged as being more staunchly conservative, especially on social issues. And as you say, O'Toole was talking up his more progressive bona fides when it comes to things like abortion and LGBTQ issues. And especially when you look at the fact that Leslyn Lewis took so many votes in Western Canada. She did very well in the prairies. How much slack does he give to people on his right? And what kind of role could you see, not necessarily for Derek Sloan, who finished fourth, but for Leslyn Lewis, who definitely could have played spoiler in this campaign?
1: Well I think on her own merits she deserves to get a good spot in his shadow cabinet. She has to get elected obviously but mm. but uh, you know she ran a great campaign. She is more than just a narrow s- social conservative that was just one component of her campaign. And even there her specific goals and the policies were pretty narrow. She was talking about banning coercive abortions banning sex-selective abortions. So this was not a blanket ban on all abortions. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't think too many Canadians would argue in favour of sex-selective abortions, even if they're pro-choice. Lewis, in particular, I think that he can certainly absorb into his team and there not be a major impact on the appeal to the broader Canadian voting public. In fact, she would be a great addition. You know, a woman of colour in downtown Toronto who speaks with authority and intelligence about any range of issues from COVID to Black Lives Matter. I mean, I think her policies on those issues, for example, are ones he should adopt. She was very positive, not specific on what she would actually do, but, the, but her approach was, look, these are opportunities to make everyone's lives better. Let's see them as opportunities and, and not as major problems. I think he has to do the same thing with those issues. O'Toole had promised that he would allow free votes in the House on issues of conscience. Mm-hmm. I think he has to live up to that. If you remember back, Stephen Harper Whipped his caucus pretty hard on these issues and certainly would not allow cabinet ministers a free vote. O'Toole has promised that he will allow cabinet ministers a free vote unless I'm mistaken. I think that was his policy. And I think he has to be a little bit more relaxed in the way that uh, he treats these issues. Otherwise, the social conservative wing will bite him back. I mean, I think that you know, the campaign life coalition said if he doesn't respect their values, then he will lose the next election. The knock on McKay was that he might add 10% to the conservative base, but he might lose 10% from that base because he was seen as being too red Tory and too liberal.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that O'Toole has talked about, both in his conversation with the prime minister after he won the leadership race and in his press conference early Tuesday morning, was the idea of Western alienation and working to ease tensions with Western Canada by supporting natural resources. How much of that is playing to himself and how much is that playing to people who supported him like Alberta Premier Jason Kenney and then Leslie Lewis, who, as I mentioned earlier, did fairly well in the prairies?
1: Well, O'Toole did have a component in his platform that was specific to the West. So, I mean, he was always cognizant of the fact that he had to speak up for the West There was a potential unity issue within the Conservative Party if Peter McKay had won. I mean, he he just, if you look at the results across the country, he did not do well in the West. O'Toole is aware of that and is, is trying to address it. I don't think there will be a particular unity issue in the Conservative Party with him as Premier. I was speaking to somebody in Alberta this morning about that, and they agree that this is a, a very acceptable result for the West, particularly given his positions on oil and gas, for example. So it's a big component. For any incoming leader, their first concern has to be melding the party back together again because it's you know these things get pretty bitter and personal. That seems to be task number one for him. And I think as far as the West is concerned, it should not be a major issue.
0: As far as kind of piecing the party back together, Peter McKay had support from current and former MPs within the party. Do you think there is that big of a split or will O'Toole have an easier job than, say, Andrew Scheer possibly did in trying to put the party together again after a leadership contest?
1: Well, the obvious disgruntlement post the 2017 leadership election was Maxime Bernier. I mean, he got pipped at the post. Mm -hmm. He deemed unfairly because Scheer had lobbied the dairy industry who were against what Bernier was proposing. You know, that created such bitterness that Bernier eventually left the party. There can be no doubt in this one, O'Toole won it fair and square. He won it by a considerable margin. None of the other leadership candidates can turn around and go, well, that was unfairly done and I'm aggrieved about it. McKay, I think, has said as much. He's come out and pretty much uh, held his hands up and wished O'Toole well. You know, I don't see a major split in the party post-leadership. I do think there are a considerable number of people who would identify as progressive conservatives who no longer see a place for themselves in this party. O'Toole might have ameliorated that feeling in his leadership speech, which I think was a very smart thing to do by saying this was an inclusive party and we've got to modernize and change. But I still think, having talked to a number of people, there are people who feel Right, that's it. There's no home for me. I can't go to the Liberal Party under Justin Trudeau. I'm not welcoming O'Toole's Conservative Party. So I think he does have to speak to those people. That might be his biggest challenge.
0: Do you feel that he may have an easier job of that with Peter McKay kind of not in the picture? I get the sense that Peter McKay probably doesn't intend to run as an MP again now that he didn't win the leadership, unlike someone like Lewis who may come in and run for a seat and see herself having a future in the party. Yeah. With McKay out of the picture, at least there's not that division where you have two people who kind of have high profiles who may be jockeying for support among caucus.
1: Yeah, I don't think he'll get, he won't be undermined in caucus. Although obviously there were a lot of McKay supporters in the caucus. There were 47 MPs, some of whom may be a little bit aggrieved. But I think, yeah, different than, than having Maxine Bernie who you have to stick somewhere prominent in the party. I haven't spoken to anybody in the McKay camp. I would be surprised if he runs in the next election.
0: You know, we had come out of this leadership race. Parliament has been prorogued by the prime minister. They're not going to sit again for another month. What happens next? Is this just a case of O'Toole now having to build up his profile with Canadians and even conservatives who didn't know much about him going into the leadership race to get set for a feisty fall session?
1: Yeah, I think that's a blessing for O'Toole. The last poll that I saw, Ipsos poll, suggested 68% of Canadians don't have enough information to form an opinion on O'Toole and over 50% of Conservative voters. That's his biggest challenge. I mean, McKay would have come in and been a known quantity at least. You know, He was almost 10 years in Cabinet, held three of the highest offices in the land. O'Toole was in Cabinet, but only for a year or so. He is a relative unknown. I mean, we saw that with Andrew Shear that it takes a long time before... The public even knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Campaigns help, but he may only have six months to get himself out there. So the idea that Parliament's is not a bad thing for him.
0: As someone who follows politics, who's in Ottawa, who sees the thrust and parry of question period in Parliament, do you feel that under O'Toole, there'll be a bit of a tone change between the Conservative Party under him and the Conservative Party under Andrew Scheer? What can we expect to see in terms of how he approaches, I guess, the cross-examination of the Prime Minister in the House?
1: I don't think we'll see too much there. I mean, Scheer was a bit stilted, but he was okay in the House. O'Toole's actually a better performer in the House. He's a very good parliamentarian. You know, he's a student of Winston Churchill. I think that it will be a little bit more slick on the floor of the House. He's a lawyer. The interrogation will probably be a little bit harder. At the end of the day, though, with Justin Trudeau, there's never an answer at the end of any question anyway. So (laughs) it's not really going to shift the needle, I don't think, whatever happens in the House.
0: Now, after all of that, one of the obvious questions on a lot of people's minds is the idea of when we could actually see a general election campaign. Obviously, we're in a minority parliament situation. The Bloc Québécois wants to see Justin Trudeau resign. Obviously, they got their way because Bill Morneau resigned. But they want to see all sorts of changes or they want to threaten to force an election. Could we actually be in a campaign in five weeks, or is this just one of those situations where O'Toole will probably have maybe six months or more, depending on how things go, to kind of get his feet under him as leader before we see a full-out election campaign?
1: You know, sometimes there are the rules of unintended consequences, and, you know, if the block's spoiling for a fight, the Conservatives, it looks bad on them to back down. I think the saving grace for O'Toole is that Jagmeet Singh is not going to want an election. I mean, I'm sure there will be enough in the throne speech that he can vote for it. I don't suspect there will be one. And I think that's probably a good thing from O'Toole's point of view. He needs that extra time to get himself known and, you know, come up with a coherent set of policies in relation to COVID that people will think it's a reasonable alternative. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that while the wee scandal hit Justin Trudeau's polling numbers, They seem to have bounced back a little bit. So they're not unpopular enough for O'Toole to risk an election at the moment. I mean, at the end of the day, most times governments defeat themselves. It's not that the opposition defeat them. It's that people get fed up seeing Justin Trudeau or Stephen Harper or whoever it might be, fed up seeing them around. And then they go, well, who else is there? And at that point, Aaron O'Toole has to look like a credible alternative. And at the moment, I don't think we're at that stage.
0: In the eyes of Canadians, I know there are some people definitely who have been following the Wee scandal and who feel that enough is enough with Justin Trudeau and we're kind of sick of these ethical lapses. There's a a segment of the population that is definitely in that camp, but do you think it makes more sense for... Aaron O'Toole to focus on how much spending the government's going to do when it comes to COVID relief, when it comes to the fact that we have a new finance minister who may be more in line with the prime minister spending more taxpayer dollars to get us out of this and strategies around COVID relief and its effect on the economy. Where do you think O'Toole's strengths on that lie? And, and which way do you think he'll go on that?
1: Well, I think that you've got to do both things. And you know, at some stage, we're going to get an ethics commissioner report, which is going to be very hard on Bill Morneau, but Morneau's gone. It will be critical of Trudeau, I'm sure. He's already apologised for not recusing himself. And at the end of the day, the buck stops with him. So I think that will provide a bit of a platform for the Conservatives, because I think while no one ethics scandal, unless it's a sponsorship scandal, usually they don't have the effect of bringing down a government, but they are cumulative in effect. If you've got three ethics commissioner violations on your charge sheet, then that's a pretty bad rap. But at the same time, I think O'Toole, and he indicated this in his speech, while the government needs to get back to balance at some point when it comes to deficit spending, now is not the time. I mean, we're in the midst of a crisis. I think there is still worse to come because I think there's still many industries that are being propped up by the government, still many, many people being propped up by the government, and that spending cannot continue indefinitely. I mean, we're at 16% of GDP in deficit spending already, $343 billion. We know that number's going up because they've just extended the CERB. Serb light by $37 billion. You know, at the end of the year, nobody should be at all surprised if that number is $500 billion. You know, we're probably getting towards 20% of GDP at that stage. Mm-hmm. Speaking of people who know this stuff, that is not disastrous if that spending is in the right place. If these are really real investments that down the line produce results that make Canada a more efficient, greener, more sustainable place to be then it's a reasonable thing to do at this stage, particularly when you've got, you know, the cost of borrowing is so low, historic lows. I mean, you know, bond prices are at unbelievable levels. The problem is that I don't think that anybody can particularly believe Justin Trudeau is scrutinizing the spending in a way that we could be confident that these are good investments. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just fired his finance minister because his finance minister wanted to be more prudent than he did. I think that's a huge opportunity for O'Toole. Mm -hmm. When it comes to cuts, People prefer the Liberals do the cutting because they think that they enjoy it less than the Conservative Party. I think the same when it comes to spending. The Liberals just enjoy spending. The Conservatives do not enjoy spending, but I think that they would reluctantly do it if it was deemed to be in the national interest. And I think O'Toole can really carve out a space by saying that. And he indicated that he was talking about rebuilding Canada, not cutting spending to the bone to get back to his balance. The way that Andrew Scheer, who gave a very mean little speech on uh, Sunday night, where he talked about shrinking government and getting back the budget back in balance. You know, now is not the time to do that. We're going to see the entire hospitality industry, the entire airline industry, the tourism industry, all, all going to be devastated as soon as the the wage subsidy and the rent subsidy and all these other subsidies are removed or re- reduced dramatically. And they have to be reduced at some point.
0: Well, it's definitely an interesting time in Canadian politics and curious to see how O'Toole will perform once Parliament gets back in session. John, thanks very much for your time. Great. Thanks, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest John Iveson. More from him at NationalPost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.